that turned on. All right, good morning, everyone. Uh, if I've not had a chance to meet you, my name is Aaron, a teaching pastor, and uh, really glad you joined us because uh, I really like the passage of scripture we're going to be looking at today, and so I am thrilled to get to share it uh, with you and have you see some of the things that I got to see in it uh, this week. Uh, to get us going, uh, I want to ask you a question. Uh, I don't care where you're at spiritually. Uh, I realize a number of you would say you're Jesus followers. Uh, some of you, maybe you're having some doubts, you're struggling with some things. Uh, maybe you're not a Jesus follower, and you're kind of pursuing and seeking, and that's why you're here. It doesn't matter where you're at, though. I still think you can answer this question. In your mind's eye, don't, don't say the name out loud, but I want you to think of a person right now, and I want you to think of the person that is the least likely to become a Christian. The person that you think is least likely to become a follower of Christ. Right? Maybe there's someone famous. Maybe it's someone you personally know. But I want you to get that person in your head, all right? Again, don't say their name out loud, just in case they're sitting next to you. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to think of the reason that they top your list. Why are they at the top of your never follow Jesus list? All right, so you got the reason? All right, now, what I want you to do is I just want you to turn to someone and share with them that reason. Don't share the name, but share with them the reason that you think this person would never, ever become a Christian. All right, so go ahead and turn and share. All right, man, you guys are kind of quiet today. Maybe it's the weather. All right, so you've heard the reason. All right, so when the person next to you shared their reason, how many of you heard it was because of the person's lifestyle? Just the way they're living. Uh, I saw one, okay, a couple of hands. How many of it was because of like political beliefs? Certain things that they believe. Okay, a few, few more hands. Maybe it was they're part of a different religion. Oh, okay, one how about if they're a militant atheist? Okay, yeah, few few more hands. All right. There's probably a, a bunch more reasons out there. But we all could think of someone, well, most of us probably thought of someone, and, and then we realized, well, yeah, this is why. If you were living in first century Palestine during the time that we're studying in the book of Acts right now, and, and you were asked that question today's main character would top your list. You would have probably responded in your head, again, you know, the, the, the rabbi would have said, don't say their name out loud, but you would have thought Saul of Tarsus. Because Saul was an incredibly zealous Jew. He was well on his way to becoming one of the most influential Jews of his time. And, and he thought that these Jewish people who were proclaiming that Jesus was the long prophesied Messiah and that he had risen again from the dead, he thought they were nuts. This was heretical. This is wrong. And this will ruin the faith. And so he hated Christians. So he would have topped almost everyone's list. And yet today, because we're in a series called Changed, where we've been studying out of Acts 8 and now into chapter 9, seeing God change some individuals, we're going to see him do it for Saul. God's going to show that this list that's in our head is imaginary and that anyone, truly 
anyone could become a follower of Jesus. So as we get ready to jump into Saul's story today, let's pray. So Heavenly Father, um, we are about to uh, open up these scriptures. Uh, these these uh, scriptures have, have uh, they've been around way before any of us were on this earth. And they will be here way after we are gone. And, and so Father, I just ask that you would forgive us for bringing our, um, our biases to it. Trying to, to force this thing into our way of thinking. Instead, I pray you would just open up our minds today that we would see what you have been saying throughout generation after generation and what is in there for us even here in 2023. And so Lord, I pray that, that uh, those who may be doubting your existence or, or doubting your goodness or, or doubting your power, that today they would see it through this story. They would realize it's true that you know them, you love them, you are for them, and you go to extremes to bring them to you. And that today might become then their spiritual birthday. For the person that maybe seems new in their faith or, or they, they feel like they don't know much of the scripture, that today would just remind them of who you are, what you've done, and what you want to do in them and through them. And Lord, I, I pray that no matter where someone is at in their spiritual journey, that today would show us and remind us that nothing is beyond you. That even though maybe the things in this life haven't gone exactly as we wanted, you are still God, you are still good, you are powerful and you can accomplish what you set out to accomplish. And God, I pray that that truth might today give us peace. It might help us uh, get a sense of restoration and would find ourselves encouraged and longing to want to follow you and make you known. So Lord, I pray that you would speak through my words, but when with all is said and done, people would not walk out of here remembering that it was Aaron Bird who shared this message, that they truly feel like they've encountered you, the living God. And I pray for this in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, if you brought a Bible, I invite you to open it up to Acts chapter 9. If you are a first-time guest and did not bring a Bible, we will be putting it up on the screen so you can read along with us. Uh, but uh, we encourage you, get a Bible. Either download one to your phone and use that on Sundays, or stop by our resource table and take one of the paper copies that are there. And uh, that would be our gift to you. And you can use that Bible not just on Sundays, but truly any day uh, of the week. Oh, today we kind of finish up this little mini-series called uh, Changed. It's a, a, kind of like a sub-series within our broader series of the book of Acts. We started Acts back in February. And uh, after taking a couple of breaks, we, we found ourselves coming back to the book. But we're, as we're entering into chapter 8, we, we end up discovering these three people who were changed by the gospel. Uh, two weeks ago, we saw this guy. Most people know him as the Ethiopian eunuch. Even though we discovered he wasn't truly from Ethiopia. He was from uh, uh, now modern-day Sudan. And he was part of the Nubian kingdom. But he was this very wealthy, influential government official. And God brought the gospel to him and changed him. And, and tradition holds that he ended up going back to Ethiopia and, and the church began there and began to spread and the gospel spread across Africa. Then last week we saw through uh, Philip, he preached the gospel and this one particular man named Simon who had been working as a pagan magician, this sorcerer, he hears the gospel and he believes. But then he slips back into some old patterns of thinking and God confronts him, rebukes him of that but basically, that was God saying, hey, I love you and I want to continue to change you. But as we looked at those two stories, it, for many Christians, they would look at them and say, well, those people were lost. That's the Christian word that many you know, people use because Jesus talks about these lost sheep, my, my lost people. And so you might look at the Ethiopian eunuch and, and Simon the sorcerer and call them lost. 
If we were to take their story and kind of put it up against the parable of the prodigal son, the two of them would be younger brothers. If you're not familiar with the, the parable of the prodigal son, Jesus tells this story in Luke chapter 15. It's about a wealthy dad who has two sons, and the younger son decides that he's tired of living for, with, under dad's authority and rule and doing the, the work there. He wants to experience life. So he goes to dad and says, I'd like my inheritance now. I mean, that's kind of rude. It's basically saying, dad, I wish you were dead. I'd rather have your money than your presence. But for the sake of the story, Jesus has the father split up his, his wealth. He gives a portion to the younger son. And the younger son goes off and just wastes it on wild living. In the meantime, the older brother stays at home. He's faithful. He works hard. He's a good kid. And so you can understand why he was a little perturbed when younger brother comes back and dad throws a hero's welcome. I mean, this, this kid had squandered the wealth and yet dad treats him like he's the world's greatest person. In the meantime, the older brother had stayed home. He was good. He did everything right. And dad hasn't even thrown like a dinner party for him and his friends. Jesus tells this story so that we might understand the father's heart. We would understand God. You see, God does not delight in the sin of his children, but he delights in the return of his children. And so when sinners like the Ethiopian eunuch, Simon the sorcerer, put their faith in Jesus, God celebrates. There is a party in heaven because he delights in his children coming to him. The Ethiopian eunuch and Simon the sorcerer, they were made in the image of God, so they were God's children. And yet sin had stolen them away to where they were far from the Father. But once the gospel came to them, they realized the goodness of the Father and they come back to him like younger brothers. But today's main character, he's an older brother. He thinks that God loves him because he's good. He's faithful. He does his duty. And yet what we're going to discover is that he is just as lost as the younger brother. The older brother's name is Saul, and his story starts here in uh, chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now we very, very, verily very briefly met uh, uh, Saul back at the end of chapter 7. When we studied chapter 7, we saw the martyrdom of Stephen. Stephen was one of the first deacons within the church. He was though out preaching the gospel that Jesus was the Messiah and he rose from the dead. It angered a lot of the religious leaders, so they had him arrested. They put him on trial. Chapter 7 is his whole entire trial. But at the end, as he works it to talking about the resurrection of Jesus, he basically turns to the people and is like, how can you be so hard-hearted to reject what has happened? And this angers them so much, they drag him outside to stone him, to kill him. And there in chapter 7, verse 58, Luke just mentions that there was this young man named Saul watching, observing. But he says that the people who were so angry, they're going to murder Stephen. They're taking off their outer garments. They're, they're, at that, that time, most of them wore this like inner garment, and then you put on this like outer cloak. So to make it easier, you know, to, to warm up the shoulders so that they could throw a little easier, they took off the outer garment, 
And it says in verse 58, they dropped the garment at the feet of Saul. This would mean Saul was a pretty important individual. This is painting the picture that he's on the rise. This is the first time he's mentioned, and yet he's already being kind of revered. And then we see in verse 1 of chapter 8 that he approves of the killing of Stephen. Because Stephen hadn't done anything wrong. All he did was proclaim that Jesus rose from the dead, and yet in Saul's opinion, that's enough to deserve death penalty. It's just the problem is Stephen's not the only one who believes this. There were a bunch of people who believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. In fact, the church at that time was somewhere between 5,000 and 6,000 people. When Stephen ends up being killed, great persecution breaks out upon the church. That's why two weeks ago we saw Philip, as he's fleeing from Jerusalem, ends out in the desert and shares the gospel with this guy. Before he goes to meet the Ethiopian eunuch in the desert, we saw him go to Samaria, and that's where he changed, you know, shares the gospel, and we see the, uh, Simon the sorcerer changed. The, the, the people fled all over the place. What I suspect happened is some of them fled to Damascus. Damascus was a fairly important city, about 150 miles north-northeast of Jerusalem. It would take you about 10, to, to two, 10 days to two weeks to walk that distance. But what I suspect happened is some Jesus followers thought that's far enough away. They'll be safe there. They get there, but they can't keep their mouths shut. They can't help but tell their fellow Jews, God's fulfilled his prophecies. He sent his one and only son. The Messiah came and he died on the cross, but he rose again from the dead. Can you believe it? And some of the people heard that and thought, these people are crazy. And word got back to the, the, the chief leaders in Jerusalem. Saul hears it and realizes, these people are just as dangerous as that Stephen. We've got to stop this. So he gets permission from the chief priests to head off to the city, arresting anyone who proclaims that Jesus is the Messiah, drag them back to Jerusalem, put them on trial, and if they don't recant from their heresy, either imprison them or kill them. He's an older brother who's not willing to wait for the younger brother to come home. He's going to head out and go and get these younger brothers who are squandering things, ruining the name of the father because he's a good older brother. Do you see why he's at the top of the never follow Jesus list? And yet what we're about to see is God take the list and rip it up. Join me in verse 3. Now, as Saul went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. I want you to think about this entire experience from Saul's point of view. Saul is sought to be faithful. 
He's very zealous. He's grown up having the best of the Jewish education. He, he probably has much of the Torah, the first five books of, of the Hebrew scriptures, what we know as the Pentateuch in, in Christianity and the Old Testament. He probably has it memorized. He probably has a bunch of the other scriptures, some of the prophets and that memorized as well. I mean, this dude is smart. He knows his faith and he is being a faithful older brother. And now suddenly he discovers in an instant, he has been so wrong. It turns out that he has also misunderstood the heart of the father. That just as the younger brother was wrong to go and squander everything, wishing his dad was dead, it turns out that he, an older brother, also misunderstands the heart of his father. And, and, and it crashes down upon him. Could you imagine the, the depression that probably set in? The, the bewilderment? Just the sense of being so lost? And yet, did you notice Jesus has mercy on him? Really? I, I'm glad Siri, Siri figured that out too. Before long, we'll have Chad GPT giving these sermons. So enjoy these last few human ones while we have them. So Paul ends up depressed, down, and yet Jesus has incredible uh, mercy upon him and says, go into the city and wait. So he goes in to Damascus and he waits. And it says for three days. The light that Jesus appeared in was so bright, it blinded him. So he waited in darkness. He's so stunned by what he's learned and depressed about it, he waits without eating or drinking. He's been so rocked to the core, he has no idea what's about to happen, so he waits with questions. He waits for three days. You ever had to wait? You ever find yourself just wondering what's next? Finding yourself wondering, what is God doing? What is happening? That's what's happening to Saul in this moment. But I also want to point out, have you noticed, if you've been with us through the series, that Saul has dealt with each of these individuals differently. He didn't meet the Ethiopian eunuch in a blinding white light. No, he met him through Philip. He didn't make Simon the sorcerer wait three days. No, he, he heard the gospel, believed, and was baptized. And then later confronted and rebuked for his old patterns of thinking through Peter. God will work uniquely in you too. Just because your story might be different than someone else's doesn't mean your story is worse or better. God knows you, he loves you, and he will work uniquely in you. God's ways vary as much as fingerprints. And so don't expect your story to look and sound just like someone else's story. Let God work in you the way he knows best out of his perfect wisdom. God knew that what was going to be best for Saul was to make him wait in the darkness 
for three days. But then God, out of his mercy, lets Simon out. I'm sorry, not Simon, Saul, out of his darkness. Pick the story back up there in verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized. There's a, a lot here, but for the sake of time, I just I want to point out three things from this uh, section of, of uh, chapter 9. First, can, can you blame Ananias for his hesitancy? For having doubts? I mean, Saul has been ravaging around. He is there to arrest people. So you can't really blame Ananias for, for being hesitant to, to go to this guy. Like, is this going to be his own death sentence? Um, I mean, I find it funny that Ananias is basically like, um, God, do you know who this is? <laughs> it's like, uh, God, that's the guy on the top of the never follow Jesus list. And it's like Jesus says, yeah, I, I know, but I shredded the list. I'm going to change this guy. And he's going to become my apostle who's going to reach the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. So then the second thing we notice is Ananias obeys. Despite his hesitancy, despite his doubts, he follows through. Are there any things that you're doubting right now? Anything you're hesitant to do? I mean, maybe you know deep down that God wants you to go to that person. Maybe deep down you know God wants you to, to delete that off your phone. To, to cut that out of your life. To, to pull back. Maybe, maybe deep down you know, I, I need to be doing this. I need to go there. And, and yet you're hesitant. You have doubts. Because you, you kind of like what you have right now. Or maybe you don't like it, but you know this. You're, you're comfortable with this. You know it's not for your best, but this is kind of what you're used to. Ananias is hesitant. And, and yet, he obeys. He goes. He trusts. Will, will you obey, even though you may be right now a bit hesitant? Then the third thing I want to point out 
So I want you to notice that as soon as the scales fall off of Saul's eyes, he's baptized. Do you realize this is a pattern? We we met the Ethiopian eunuch. He, He hears the gospel explained as he's reading Isaiah 53. Here they are in the desert. They just happen to see water. And he says, why should I not be baptized? And he is. When when Philip comes into Samaria and he preaches the gospel, a number of people put their faith in Christ and it says they are baptized, including Simon. And now here we have Saul. That the moment these, these blinders come off, he can see again, he realizes the truth of who Jesus is, what Jesus did, he is baptized. If you're a follower of Jesus and have not been baptized, don't wait. We see the biblical pattern. This is what God wants you to do. He desires this for you because it will be a very significant moment in your life as you declare publicly, my life belongs to him. On October 15th, it's in your handouts, we are going to be having another baptism. We've got two people who are ready, so we've set that date. That's where it's best. So I just want to open it up to everyone. And so if you, if you are a follower of Jesus, you know what he did for you through the cross and the empty tomb, but you have not publicly been baptized, then let's do it on the 15th. You'll get the opportunity to share your story and then we're going to go down to the river and we're just going to baptize people. Don't delay. Put it on your connection card. We'll contact you. We'll have a conversation and then we'll celebrate on the 15th your baptism. Now, there's a couple things in Saul's story that uh, lend into what I would call Bible trivia. Uh, It's what Bible nerds and geeks like me might say, oh, that's kind of fun to know. But I rarely try to allow much Bible trivia to slip into sermon time. You see, I think Bible trivia is all about filling your head. But I, th- I think the whole idea of teaching and preaching like this is, is to impact your heart. I, I think God is more concerned about who you are and what he wants to do through you than just filling your brain with a bunch of Bible facts. The Bible facts are good. They're great. Learn them. But as the scriptures say, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. God wants to build your life. And so I, I'd rather try to impact how you live than just fill your head. But, but today, I, I do need to share two pieces of Bible trivia to, to help correct a couple of things, but I think they also lend into some important doctrinal truths that will be helpful for us today and will get to the heart. So the first piece of Bible trivia actually kind of ties into a small little pet peeve I have. Many of you know that this Saul of Tarsus we are talking about today is the same man who is known as Paul the Apostle. And yet what I've heard so often, in fact, I heard it twice this week, once in a book that I consulted in my sermon and once in a sermon on YouTube that uh, I was listening to, where the, the pastor, theologian, author says, and Saul became Paul. No. I mean, look, feel free to look at it. Nowhere in there does it say that Saul is now suddenly Paul. This is not like in Genesis 17 where God renames Abram into Abraham. This is simply sort of like how Jake is also Jacob, Matt is also Matthew, Saul is also Paul. It's just that Saul is the Hebrew pronunciation of his name and Paul is the Greek pronunciation of his name. The the confusion comes in because we meet him as Saul here when he's kind of this evil man who's trying to destroy Christianity. But then later as we see God use him to expand the kingdom of God, he's being referred to as Paul. 
But if you think about it, it makes sense. Because when he's living in Jerusalem as a Jew, he is fully Hebrew. He's in a Hebrew context. So it makes sense that people would be referring to him by his Hebrew version of his name, Saul. But it's after he heads out on his missionary journeys that suddenly he's traveling to areas that aren't Hebrew. They are Greek-speaking regions. So they would start referring to him by the Greek pronunciation of his name. And therefore, Luke follows suit and starts calling him Paul. So don't fall into the mistake that in this moment, God changed his Saul to Paul. And yet with that said, even though God did not change his name, in that moment, God did change his nature. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if anyone is in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. They become a new creation that is what happened to Saul in this moment. God not, may not have changed his name to Paul, but he did become a new creation. It, on the spiritual level, the, 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 the kind of legalistic self-righteousness that he'd been living with, that was forgiven. He's now a new creation. He's now the son of God. He has a new nature. If you are in Christ, you have a new nature. You are a new creation. You may be, as we saw Simon last week, slipping into old patterns of thinking, but God wants to continue to change you and help build and restore that new creation within you. So Saul did not suddenly become Paul, but he did become a new creation. The second piece of Bible trivia. Some people uh, mistakenly think that in this moment, Saul becomes a leader within the church, that it just happened overnight. And the reason they think that is because of what we see next. If your Bible is still open there, pick it up at verse 19. After being baptized, it says that he, uh, and taking food, he was strengthened. And for some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. One of the uh, uh, books, commentaries that I uh, consulted uh, this week basically said that Saul didn't go to seminary, nor did he take any courses, and yet he immediately became a witness. Well, yes and no. I mean, yes, he immediately became a witness. We, we see him right here after being baptized. He eats some food. He's hanging out with the, the church there in Damascus. And he, he ends up at the synagogue. This is where Jews hang out. And as he hears people trying to refute this whole thing about Jesus, he can't help himself. Well, actually, I, I met this Jesus on the road. He appeared to me and he did rise from the dead. But when he says, well, he never went to seminary, well, that's not totally true. You got to remember, he is a well-studied Jew. He has much of the Torah memorized. He knows what the Hebrew scriptures say, and he knows which ones are the messianic prophecies. And now that he is a follower of Jesus, and everyone who follows Jesus, it says that they be sealed with the Holy Spirit. They receive the Holy Spirit. Now through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's realizing those things have always been pointing at Jesus. I couldn't see it before, and now I do. And now he begins to tell it to them and show it to them. And so 
yeah, he, he's very learned. God used all of that background to bring out this moment where he begins to share the gospel. And yet, he did not suddenly become the leader of the church. Too often, we take someone who seems really, really smart, and we just put them into positions of leadership. Or we take someone who has a lot of money, or a lot of influence, a lot of charisma, and we put them in these places of leadership. Yet God did not immediately put Saul in that position of leadership. As we're going to study through Acts, we're going to see, we're going we're to go away from Saul here for a little while. We'll come back to him later. But what we discover is that there is some time. He's going to go away for a bit. In fact, when we see him head out on his first missionary trip in Acts 13, there's anywhere from 10 to 15 years between what we're seeing right now and that. The reason I point this out is I have met a number of people that in the moment they put their faith in Jesus, they're so excited. And it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful moment. But they think this means they have to immediately go into full-time ministry. They immediately need to become a pastor and preach. And I'm telling you, no. Not that that won't ever happen. It's just that God delights in slow cooking people. Because he wants to, to savor. He wants to do something wonderful and deep. There were still some character issues that needed dealt with within Saul's life. Even though he now believes the truth and knows this and is able to intellectually refute those who denied the resurrection of Jesus, he was not ready from a character level to, to stand up and lead the church and plant churches. So some of you, God wants to grow you. He wants to put you in a season where he's working deep in you because he does want to work tremendously through you. So don't seek after the limelight. Let God continue to work. But at the same time, do not let the excuse of, well, I'm in a season of growth, be an excuse to not serve, to not help, to not impact. God can and wants to use you even now. It may not be in that prominent place of leadership yet, but he wants to work in you now to get you there. Over and over, I shared this a few weeks ago, and you know, just where Riverwood's at, we need leaders. But a lot of that leadership comes about through just simple serving. Simple serving in the cafe, in Kids Creek, being a greeter, helping a worship team. The slow things that God does in these places continues to grow you, mature you, to where then you start coming to a place where you're, you're leading a growth group. You're meeting one-on-one -on -one with people. You're beginning to disciple. You, you step into a leadership role of, as elder. You're, you're beginning to teach and have influence. God says the harvest is great, but the labors are few. God needs you. He, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. God wants you. God does not need you. He wants you. He wants to work deeply within you. God clearly chose Saul. God could have used anyone, but he wanted this man. So, Saul intended to go to Damascus to arrest Jesus' followers. And instead, he finds himself arrested by Jesus. And it's through that that God changes him. Now there's one last thing as we work towards the close that I want to draw out. At the early part of the sermon, I uh, referred to the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. 
At the very beginning of Luke 15, Jesus shares another parable. Kind of similar, but it draws out something that we need to see today. Jesus says in Luke 15, starting in verse 4, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Imagine for a second, you have 100 pennies. You lose one, got 99 left, eh, no big deal. Probably not going to spend a bunch of time looking for the one lost penny. But what if we say it's $100 and you lose $1 bill? Okay, that's still, I've still got $99. But what if we up it to a million dollars? Will you go start looking for that missing 10,000? Or what if we increase it to a billion? Will you go look for that missing 10 million? What if we increase it to a trillion? Now we're talking that 1%, that one missing that's $10 billion. Okay, now you'd probably start saying, okay, this, this missing 1% matters. The higher it goes, the more value there is, the more likely you're to go after the one. To God, humans are worth way more than a trillion dollars. Do you know how much they're worth? They're worth the blood of Jesus. That is why God, the good shepherd, is willing to leave the 99 to go and find the one. To go and find the Sauls. To go and find the Ethiopian eunuchs. To go and find the Simons. And to go and find you. He was willing to leave his throne in heaven. Willing to take on human flesh. To live in this painful world. To experience all of it. And yet go and die a sinner's death. Even though he had never done anything wrong. Because he wanted you. You are worth it all. So if you are here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, you need to hear this is how much God loves you. You're the lost sheep. He is willing to give up anything and everything to go and get you and rescue you and bring you to him. And he doesn't care if you've been acting like a younger brother, living wild and selfishly. And he doesn't care if you're an older brother who's been trying to live as though you've got it all put together. He wants you. So will you give your life to him? Will you surrender it all? Most people, when they realize the truth of this, they just mark the moment in prayer where they, they, they confess their sin 1 John 1.8 says that when we confess our sin, he is able and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So come before him and confess your sin and let him cleanse you and change you. But also, I realize a number of you here, you've done this already. This is why you're here. You know who God is. You know what he's done. This, it matters. And so for you, what this needs to be is a celebration. You need to celebrate what God did for you through the cross. The extent that he went to, to go and find you his lost sheep. I can't think of any better way to do that than through communion. As we come to the communion elements, that 
that reminder that that bread, that his, Jesus's body, which was broken for us, was we take that cup and we open it up and drink it. That is his blood shed for us. He went to the extreme to make us his because he wants to change you. So may this time of, of uh, communion be just that of confession, of celebration, of, of surrender. Let us just go and do this for him. Heavenly Father, I just pray that this next uh, moment, as we sing, as we pray, as we partake of the elements, that you would be in our midst, that your Holy Spirit would work in heart. I pray right now for the person that is either here in person or watching online or listening to the podcast later in the week that, that does not know you, that right now your Holy Spirit would be changing them, drawing them, wooing them, that, that just as uh, physically uh, Saul had these uh, scales fall off his eyes, that spiritually they would have scales fall off their heart and that they would see and, and, and realize who you are, that you are real, that you love them, and they would just want to give their life to you for what you have done. Lord, I pray for the people that are here, that have, have known this, that are living this, that this would be a celebration, a time of thanksgiving, to, to remember who you are and what you've done, and that they would <laughs> repent of, of, of the times where they have doubted you, the things that they are being hesitant about, that, that they would seek to live for you, in all things, in all ways, giving all of themselves to you. So God, would you work in this next holy moment? Do this for your glory. Do this for our redemption. Do this for our restoration. Do this for our joy. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.